Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hey there. If you've been around for a little while, you may have noticed something new in my podcast feed. You're going to see subscriber-only episodes, and those are episodes that are available to people who support me through a paid subscription. Now, these are in addition to normal episodes. They are not replacing the normal episodes. You can stay on the podcast while you always have and get access to the content I put out. But if you want to subscribe and pay a little bit extra, you can get these extra episodes. So I want to thank, first of all, Carrie and Jennifer, who have already signed up. Take a look at it. It's really easy to do. You can click on any of the locked episodes and you subscribe right there. If you have any questions, just let me know. And now on to the episode. Hey, everybody. This is Brian with the back with another episode of Brief to Growth. And today I've got with me Avakal Costantino. Avakal is a mystic. He's a poet. He's a martial artist. Curiosity, passion, and love for the truth guide his life and his teaching. He's a director of the Integral Being Institute active in Europe, Asia, and Australia. Avakal worked as an anthropologist and a freelance photographer. His love for martial arts, which began in 1970, took him to teaching Aikido and sword in 1987, while his love for the body produced diplomas and professional activity in shiatsu, yuki, and saiti. These are healing techniques. In 1983, Avakal became a disciple of the Indian mystic Osho, who many of you have heard of, and from 1988 to 1990, when Osho left his body, uh, he was also our, in 1990, when Osho left his body, I should say, he was, also, he was also his personal photographer. From 1989 to 1994, he was a director of the Osho School for Centering and Zen Martial Arts and the Multiversity in Osho's Commune in Pune, India. Now, being involved with Zen and Advaita, Advaita for more than 25 years, he leads retreats such as Satari and the Awareness Institute and the Awareness Intensive, I should say. And we're going to talk about what Satori is and also the Awareness in, uh, Intensive. These retreats are focused on the ex- existential questions, who is in and who am I? And since 1997, he's developed an innovative and original approach to the work with the inner judge. And he's a well-known teacher of essence and Enneagram. Uh, he's also a life coach a management trainer and executive mentor working with presence, leadership, resilience, and conflict resolution in Italy and Australia. So you can tell he's well-traveled. He's got a lot of experience. Uh, he currently lives in Bondi, Australia, which is where he's speaking to me from today. And Avicala is also a poet. So with that, I want to welcome to Grief to Growth, Avicala Costantino. Hi. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. And thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, as we, as I mentioned before, we started recording the questions: Who am I, and what am I, and why am I here? These are some of the questions that we 
really tend to ponder a lot when we go through life-altering events. Uh, most of the people listening to my podcast have been through grief, and that's why they're here. And some of these questions really come up during that time. So to to start off, I'd like to ask you about the title of your book, Who Is In? And what does that actually mean, that that, that koan, Who Is In? Well, okay. First of all, what is a koan? A koan is a question that does not have an intellectual answer. So it's not something that we can answer through our accumulated knowledge is not about information, is not about our past, is not about what we have learned and read during during our life, is really about experiencing directly in the moment. So the only possible, uh, uh, I don't even want to call it an answer, but the only possible revelation that can happen, you know, it can only happen in the moment when uh, each one of us is fully present in the here and now, and is connected with the oneself and with everything that we live in. So it's really about contact, it's really about connection, it's really about uh, being present right in this moment. So in this moment, I am talking to you. So the, the, the way that I can be aware of the fact that I'm talking to you, if I am present with the fact that I am talking that there are words coming, that there are sensations in my physical body, and so on. So who is in is uh, is uh, is more a quest than a question. <laughs> like we call it a question, but it's more a quest, you know, finding out who is this individual that experiences everything. For example, you mentioned the grief. Grief is uh, something that happens to a specific individual. And uh, that is an event that has sometimes very, is very overwhelming, sometimes is full of pain, sometimes it can, can bring even, uh, even a, 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 often actually brings a very deep understanding about oneself. But who is the one who is having this experience? So who is the subject of all this uh, uh transformation, uh, revelation, changes uh, that happen. So this is what a koan is about. A koan is about a movement from our attention focused on what happens to us to our attention focused on who is the one to whom everything is happening, to subjectivity. So this is the main focus of uh, the work with existential koans. Who is the experiencer? Who is the subject? Yeah, and I think most of us would say, well, that's a pretty basic question. I know who I am. I'm I'm Brian. Uh I, I'm I'm you know Sarah. I'm you know I'm Avikal. So what's the difference between uh saying I'm Brian and really knowing who I am? Well, you know, I am Brian is basically saying I am my name. But you are not your name. No, your name is something that is being given to you or to me or to anybody else as a, 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 a tool that most of the time is often is used, used by other people to identify you. Mm. But behind that name, who is this person that identifies with, I am Avical, I am Brian, I am Italian, 
Indian, I am American, I am Australian, I'm a man, I'm a woman. Who is that who? You know, when Moses, after having been talking with, with God, was going back to his tribe, at some point, after walking for a little bit, he just got, oh, I forgot something. So I turned around, went again and asked God, God, but if my people ask me who you are, what should I say? And the answer was, tell them that I am that I am. Was not a name, was not a definition, was a, 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 an affirmation of pure presence. So what we are looking for is that sense of being that pure presence, which is beyond definition, which is beyond names, which is beyond our personal history, which is beyond the color of my skin, which is beyond what I know or I don't know. It's the mystery. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Yes, yes. And I think I, what I get now is the koan is not, it's not to be answered, as you said. It's something yeah. to help us reflect. And a lot of times I think it's that we have to answer it almost in the negative, who I am not. You know, I am yeah. I am not my name. I am not the son right. of my parents. That doesn't define who I am. Yes, that's that's usually is the first most fundamental step. In India, it's called this particular way of dealing with it. It's called neti neti, not this, not that, mm. which is a particular technique where I say, well, I'm not my hand moving in this moment. I'm aware of my hand moving. I'm not the name that, I, uh, that I'm used to and so on. So we start putting away all the definitions. And then in, in that moving away from all the definitions, what happens is that the inner space, which usually is crowded by definitions and history, starts kind of opening up and showing as a space where there are no definitions, where there are no objects, and yet is not empty, is full of presence, is full of the fact that I am still the one who is aware of the space. I am that space. I am that spaciousness. I am that presence. So, but this is, you see, when it's put into words, doesn't mean much because it's an experience. It's just an experience. It's something that goes beyond the words that I can use. I can call it presence, but what is the inner experience of presence? Mm-hmm. Like, like when we say, you know, I, I am in love. Yes, but the, the word love doesn't even come close to the experience of experiencing love because love is beyond the definition, is beyond the experience. So this is, this is a process where we move from I know who I am to, well, actually, I don't know who I am. <laughs> I have no clue who I am, and yet... Mm-hmm. I know that I am. 
I can experience myself. So uh, that emptiness is not something that goes away. Yeah. It's right here in this moment. It's, in, it's, it's you as me, as the people that are listening or will be listening or seeing this, you know. Presence is inevitable. Is yes. what the universe is about. <laughs> yeah. And, and in the book, there's another term that you use called Satori. Can you define that for us? Yes. Well, Satori has different meanings. You know, Satori is, uh, is a, a Japanese word which is used to point to um, a moment of uh, awakening, a moment mm-hmm. where suddenly we move out from everything that we think we, we think we know about ourselves and reality, and suddenly there is a revelation of uh, a dimension which is spirit is not just matter or objects or events or uh, past, present, and future. It's beyond time, it's beyond space, it's beyond, it's beyond description. This is one, the, one of the basic understanding of the word Satori. Mm. Uh, then there is uh, a Satori which is called, so this would be like a Satori event. It's something that can happen to each one of us. And actually it happens much more often than we think. For example, I don't know. Sometimes we, you look into the child, into the eyes of a very young baby, and you suddenly have this experience of complete oneness and spaciousness and emptiness. You know, which is uh, our nature, which is our mind, you now completely open to everything that is. Or you no, know, you are listening to a fantastic music. And suddenly you disappear as as an entity, and there is just the music, and you are that music. Now I see that you have a guitar. You probably know that space. No, <laughs> getting completely no. In that, no one single note at a time, and the symphony and the harmony all together. Mm. So this is the event satori, and then there is a satori, which is uh, a, a specific. Uh, process, a specific retreat, a specific format that is based on uh, on a traditional uh, Zen retreat, uh, which which was called Seshin. And uh, so it is about seven, eight hundred years old, and as a tradition. And and that's a particular retreat where uh, people come and they will go through uh, a, a particular sequence of uh, sessions, mm-hmm. which, which usually last for 40 minutes each. And they sit together with the partner in front of each other, uh, having eye contact. And then one person asks the other, tell me who is in. So then the person that has been asked, at that point, as five minutes to explore and go in and look for who is in or who mm-hmm. am I. We use different coins or what is love or what is freedom or what is life, you know. And then after five minutes, usually I or one of my assistants, we ring the bells and we say, thank your partner. So the people thank each other and then change over. So the person that has been communicating will ask the other person, 
the con that the other person is working with. For example, tell me what love is mm-hmm. or tell me what uh, uh, freedom is. And then the other person has five minutes to answer. So this goes back and forth, back and forth. And we work many hours every day together with other meditations. And sometimes we have uh, question and answers and uh, individual interviews until a person has a direct experience. So basically goes into that space of uh, revelation, which is a satori. Hmm. And at that point, usually that person comes to me, we have an individual interview, and uh, and then I give them a new core. So they can explore another, another dimension of this immensity that is our existence. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm actually trying to lay down a foundation here for people to understand some of the terms we're going to be using. So we talked sure. about we talked about koan, we talked about satori, um, we talked about who am, who am I or who was in. Another thing I'd like to define before Pete or talk about is like what is meditation? Uh, meditation uh, for a lot of people, they just hear the word and their blood pressure goes up because they're like, <laughs> I don't know how to meditate. I can't sit still. Um, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. I can't stand being with my own thoughts. So (laughs) when when you say meditation, what do you mean by meditation? Okay. First of all, uh, I completely understand because for me, I could not sit still. Uh, So when, when I approached meditation, I simply had to realize, well, actually, a certain kind of technique, meditation technique, like Vipassana or other sitting meditation, is not for me. I need movement. I need action. And that's where I started going into martial arts. Because martial arts is, is about being aware, conscious of every single little detail in the movement, refining it, refining it, refining it, refining it, and becoming more and more and more and more involved and present. And at some point, meditation is not a technique. Meditation is something that happens. Mm -hmm. And actually, the definition of meditation is very simple, is uh, choiceless awareness which means that I'm simply aware of what is, period. There is no resistance, there is no judgment, there is no rejection. I'm simply aware in this moment, I am aware that I'm speaking. And I am present with my speaking. And I'm aware that you are in front of me, you know, even though very far away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm aware also that there is a connection, that energetically we are relating to each other. So there there are different dimensions of my reality, or reality, not mine, of reality, that Mm -hmm. meditation is about being just aware of it. So in that sense, meditation is, is not the techniques that we use. The techniques are just techniques. And the meditation is something that happens when we move beyond the technique. Mm. So when I speak with people that want to meditate, the first thing that I say usually is like, look, there is no right meditation. You need to find your way. 
Now, of course, the way to find your own specific way of meditating in the present is very personal. So maybe you need to experiment with different techniques until you find something that says, okay, this I like. For some people, for example, running is their meditation. Mm -hmm. They go into that space of complete openness and complete presence. That's it. For some people, it's cooking. You know, when I cook, I'm in meditation. <laughs> For some people, it's playing music. So meditation is not a technique. Medi the techniques are techniques. Meditation is what happens when the technique goes, is somehow completely embodied and, and becomes your presence. Yes. So then it's I not difficult. Yeah, I, I love that you said that. And you know, it's interesting. I've been meditating now off and on for probably 20 years. And I've tried different techniques. You know, I've read books, I've downloaded apps, I've done, it's, you know, lots of different things. And then a couple of months ago, there's a guy I work with, and he teaches, it's a form of transcendental meditation. Uh, his is, is actually, I guess, even simpler. I've never done TM, but he calls it turning within. And he's like, well, I'm going to give you the technique, but it's not about the technique. And I love what you said about like, everybody's got to find their own way. And I was reading your book and they were, and you were talking about meditation and I was sitting in my kitchen and I was just, the sun was shining through the window and I was having a cup of tea and I was looking at the tea on the counter and I'm like, this is meditation. Yes. And, and, and we, you know, we make it so complicated. We make it so difficult that it could be anything. You said it could be going for a run if that works for you or you know, cooking or, or whatever that, that thing is. So we need to free people up to find their own, their own way of, of finding that awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you see the, 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 the trap is knowledge. The trap is the idea that I need to know what meditation is. We already know because naturally, spontaneously, we find ourselves in meditation many times during the day. We, we are just not aware of it because we are too crowded with, with ideas about what meditation is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So again, we need to clean up all that stuff. And as you say, you know, sometimes you're sitting there with your cup of tea or coffee and, and you're completely present. That's meditation. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. that's, that's our nature. And I love what you talked about. You compared it's also like athletes being in the zone. Because I think yes. that's something that any of us who have played a sport, you know, can relate to. Or anybody that that creates. If you if you write or if you paint or if you play Absolutely. music, when you get into that space where you kind of even forget that you're there, you're just experiencing it. Yes, exactly. Because you are not there as a separate entity. Mm-hmm. And that's where that, that's that's the beauty of meditation that 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 you that believes to be to exist in separation from everything for a moment disappears because we don't identify with it. So the I goes. Hmm. You are there. Your presence is there, but the I is gone. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's a moment usually is a, is a very sweet it, there is a sweetness there is a, a gentleness there is a, a a naturalness in that just being present mm -hmm. yeah and you talk in the book about like that desire that desire that we all have to just 
to, to not have to have something that we have to do, something we have to achieve, to be worried about the past and trying to ch- change the future or chase the future, to just be. And it seems to be like that's our innate nature that we kind of want to get back to. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Well, you know, we, okay, there is is a reality which has to do with the fact that we exist in a physical body, in a particular embodiment, in a particular society, in a particular family situation, in a particular culture. And of course, we need to deal with it. Mm. And as we deal with it, we need to face questions like challenges and goals and directions and time and, and pressures and stress and all this kind of stuff, responsibility and so on. And yet, this is only one part of existence, of our life, which has to do with survival. But what about living? Living is way beyond survival. Living is more like about, okay, who am I and what am I doing here? How come existence, God, primary awareness, you can call it every way, any way you want, wants exactly me, you, each one of us here in this moment? What is the gift that you bring, that I bring, that any any individual brings, which has to do with the uniqueness of this embodiment? So to move away from survival means to go towards uniqueness. Hmm. What is unique about this incarnation? What is unique about you? And you obviously are finding your uniqueness because that's 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 what you're doing. You know, you are sharing yourself, you know, and you seem to be very happy to do that, you know. <laughs> and that's a good sign, you know. How do how do I know when I'm finding my uniqueness? When I start feeling content about the fact that I exist on this planet in this moment, and I can give myself. Mm-hmm. That's that's so fulfilling, you know. So the, the the awakening is not only about liberation, it's about fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's fundamental to, to to because that that's also the place where we really start honoring each other in in right. that in that fulfillment. And then then desire is like, yes, of course I desire to be who I am. It's such a joy. <laughs> yeah. You you also you you talk about this this search to find ourselves and you you talk about rebellion that that seems to be a, a part of this this search to find ourselves. Why why would that be? Well, 
rebellion is the difference, is the gap between uh, wanting to be special and recognizing uniqueness. You see, wanting to be special has to do with uh, comparison, has to do with, okay, I, I compare myself, you know, to somebody that I feel is less special than me, others that are more special. So I'm I'm on a ladder. I'm in the competition game. You know, I need mm. to prove that I'm special. But when you recognize that actually to play in this game of being special is a killer, is a killer of our own uniqueness, then you become a rebel. You become a rebel, you say, you know what? I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm not going to try to prove that I'm special, that I'm better than you, that I'm worse than that, that I need approval to find my own uh, worth and self-value. I am who I am. I am this mystery. I am this uh, search. I am this quest. And I am this potential. And that's Mm. my uniqueness. So rebellion, in a way, it's, it's a kind of bridge between the, the constriction of our uh, structure in the, in, in the personality, in the, in, the, in, the, in the living within a certain kind of limitations based on our inner judge, on our culture, on our race, on all these things. And the moment where we say, okay, I am unique. Mm-hmm. I am unique, and this is what I am willing to exist for, to live for, to share. So rebellion is a kind of a bridge for me. Yeah. Well, you know, society does create that, that competition and, and that prove you're special and, and, you know, compares us and ranks us. And I hear even people in spirituality talk about this. You'll hear people talk about levels in the afterlife and hierarchies Um, and you know, a phrase I like to use with with people is like, yes, you're unique like everybody else. You know, we're, we're all unique. We're all, but we're all in in a sense, the same in terms of our essence and our value and our worth. And it's, it's the value that we have is really in our uniqueness and not trying to compare ourselves with others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I, 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 yeah, I, the value is intrinsic to our uniqueness. You don't need to, we don't need to find it. It's already there. It's always mm-hmm. been there. Just a mm-hmm. question of recognizing it and, and also giving it to yourself. Yeah. You know, and not expecting other people to say, oh, yeah, you, you are unique and uh, therefore you are value. No, wait a minute. I don't need the approval of anybody. I don't mm-hmm. need a stamp from anybody. I need, to feel it, to sense it in myself, and to honor it. Yeah, and I know you say you say that we're already complete. So, what is it that you mean by that when you say that we're we're already complete? Well, what I what is that in this moment, right in this moment, nothing is missing. I am complete. You are complete. You know, if I am present now, of course, if I start comparing with the past. And if I start hoping for a particular future, then I don't feel my completeness because I am, you know, in a way divided. Mm. But if I'm completely here, what is missing in this moment? Nothing. I'm right here with all that I am, you know. 
all that I am, which is some stuff I might like it, some some stuff I might, might not like it, some stuff I might understand it, some stuff I might not understand it, but all that I am is right here in this moment. And this is the vertical, you know, of the what what uh, some some uh, mystics or philosophers they call the the eternal now mm-hmm. no this vertical moment you know in this vertical moment everything is right here in this moment the past is just memory and the future is just uh, well, hypothesis ideas hopes right but nothing, no real at all yeah i think that's such a valuable lesson because you know, we're we're taught to keep striving, keep seeking, tr- keep trying to be better. And we take that material capitalistic lesson that has been driven to all of us, and we bleed it over into our spirituality. Absolutely. And we say it's the same thing. There's this, this spirituality that says we've got to seek, we've got to strive. This has got to be, this has got to be hard. We have to earn it. Absolutely, and then then uh, enlightenment becomes becomes the new goal, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then again, then we again create uh, you know hierarchies. You know, who is enlightened, more enlightened, and then I'm <laughs> my master is the best master, and my awakening, I'm awakening to the same seven uh, chakra and all this kind of stuff. You know, like oh my god, and to come back to to grief. In those moments, all this stuff goes down the drain. Mm. All this stuff shows for what it is, just mind, uh, you know, just mind, just, you know, getting getting ourselves busy with things rather than feeling. When, when grief strikes, you know, there is no no time no 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 energy to 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 waste for what is not essential to who i am in this moment yeah that's one of the most fundamental teaching that we can have the death death is is a teacher because it teaches us about life <laughs> yeah how to be completely alive. I, I completely agree. You know, one thing about grief is it does, it strips you down to the essential. You you don't have any energy. You don't have any time for things that are unessential. People literally reevaluate everything, including yes. we start to ask ourselves, who am I and why am I here? Um, maybe, you know, sometimes people could be 50, 60, 70 years old. It's the first time they've ever asked themselves that question. Uh, you know, why Why am I here? And it becomes a journey. It becomes a journey to, to find out. It is. It is. And it's a beautiful journey. And you see, it's interesting because uh, what has been happening on this planet, at least this is in my, in my view, in the last couple of years, you know, with the, with COVID and other things, is that basically we are obliged to face uncertainty. The, nobody, nobody can can pretend. Okay, I'm I'm certain because I'm rich. I'm certain be, I'm not gonna I'm not, I'm not gonna get sick because I am uh, in in Italy or in America, not in Africa. No, mm. no. The COVID 
does not spare anybody, no, can go anywhere. And this is a learning. A learning is, okay, how can I live in uncertainty? How can I allow myself to recognize that life is impermanent? And what does it mean to be alive in impermanence? How can I enjoy impermanence rather than fight against it? Yeah. This is a big, big, big part of the journey. The spiritual journey is basically understanding and learning to live in uncertainty. That's it. Because the next moment is unknown. You know, it's unknown to, you know, it's, it's not happened yet. So how can I know it until it happens? You're right. And, it, you know, it's a very interesting lesson. For me, I learned it before COVID. My daughter passed away suddenly. She was a healthy girl. You, you're going along through life and you think you know what's going to happen the next moment. We don't, if you ask someone, they'll say, no, no, I don't know. But we think we do. We we yes. pretend that there is no impermanence until something makes us really face it. And as you said, something like COVID, we couldn't say that's only happening to people over there. That's only happening to, to poor people. That's only happening. It was like, it became the great equalizer. Yeah. And it became a point where we all had to face uncertainty and the reality of impermanence because again people we like to pretend that we're going to live forever um you know we look in the mirror every day and the mirror tells us we're not but we just ignore that we're saying well i'm going to be the exception i'm going to live forever but <laughs> we have these lessons that come along every once in a while they'll kind of snap us out of it and say you need to face who you are yes yes absolutely and, and and you know we we can wait for life to give us a, a stick on the head, or we can decide. Okay, you know, at this point in my life, I really want to face these questions. Mm -hmm. I really want to. I, I want to to be on a journey where where I can find myself. You know, mm -hmm. at least at least once in my life, I can taste myself and say, okay, this is who I am. You know, yeah. So I'm curious yeah. what got you what got you into into this quest yourself. Was it the martial arts that got you into it? Well, no, uh, me also. But uh, I mean, I, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly something. Mm -hmm. Because my my sense is that since I was very young, I had uh, something in me was was moving in that direction. You know, wanting to know. Who I am, but then uh, the, the the real turning point where, where for the first time I heard myself make a statement about this was when I was twenty six, and I twenty five, twenty six, and basically I was uh, at a point in my life where uh, I had been for ten years uh, really involved with the, the revolutionary movement in Italy starting with the students' movement and then going more, more, uh, you know, really, okay, we want to, I want to change everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> so I was a, a militant, a political militant for many, many years. And then uh, uh, that thing collapsed. So the revolution was not possible, was clear, you know, and uh, so that part of my life completely collapsed. Mm. I finished university. Uh, I I did my military service that in at that time in Italy was obligatory for 13 months. So suddenly I found myself in a place where, well, what, what is my life about? 
No, all my past was finished. And uh, one evening I, I was with a friend and I just heard myself say, you know what? The only thing that matters for me in my life is to find out who I am. And I was surprised myself because it was, was not a rational something that I had arrived rationally. But the moment that I heard myself saying it was so true and was so clear that actually that became the guiding principle of everything in my life. Mm -hmm. So from that moment on, it was like, was like magic, you know, because things started arriving, teachers, uh, and uh, information, opportunities. I, I moved away from Italy and I went to live in Mexico and I worked there as an anthropologist. I met shamans, I, you know. So everything started aligning with that quest. Who am I? Mm. And that's that's how it, and then finally, you know, I, I became a disciple of Osho and then I found this uh, Satori process the retreats and I started uh, facilitating the retreats. So it's like everything started falling in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I felt so blessed. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I think how that happens, it goes back to that. Um, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will, will appear. And I think there's like, it's like once we put out to the universe, whatever you want to call it, sure. that we want to go on this journey then it, then things starts to un, just unfold for us. And then it's just a matter of like connecting the dots. Yes. Being, being available to the opportunities, you know, that mm -hmm. come. Now, sometimes, sometimes very challenging opportunities, you know, like, for example, another time, you know, I was uh, in Italy. I was back in Italy after Mexico and after India. And, and I was already a disciple of Osho and, uh, and at some point, and I was doing good, you know, I was a freelance photographer. I was getting quite well known and famous. I published photo books and did exhibitions. And suddenly it was like, I need to go to Pune. I need to be with Osho. I need to, I need to really go into deeply into that, this search. So mm -hmm. I left everything behind. And of course, most people thought that I was completely crazy you know, in doing that, mm -hmm. except my best friend, because I, I had no money. <laughs> and my best friend said, you know what? You have a couple of thousand dollars. This is my gift. You do what you need to do. <laughs> mm. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, and, and that was it. I moved to India and I, and I, and I was in India for 15 years. And it was perfect. Yeah. So tell me about your time, what your experience with Osho. Okay. My experience with Osho. Uh, okay. It started in America. It actually started at the ranch in, uh, in Oregon, uh, mm. in, in uh, Puram. Uh, I went and I took sannyas. And even though I was very resistant, because I, I wanted to be the, my own master. Right. Right. <laughs> of course <laughs> so then at some point I said well I'll say I can be my own master but I need help so I went to America and I became a sannyasin a disciple or Osho disciple and uh, I was there two or three times because I, 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 I was going in and out from Italy to America 
And then Osho left and went back to India. And then uh, I was living at that time in the south of Italy on a small uh, uh, village. And I and I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to go to India again, you know. And uh, and uh, I decided to go to India in '87, beginning of '87. And uh, I, uh, when I was there, um, we we built a, a dojo where we do martial arts. Hmm. And uh, and then uh, uh, Osho gave me the responsibility of being the the director of the school of Zen martial arts. At the same time, I I brought to him uh, a, a particular picture, which was a picture of a dewdrop on on a leaf in my garden, and uh, he gave me a, a, a little challenge. He said, "I want you to take a picture of a drop exactly in the moment it starts falling," which is. Challenging because the finger is not fast enough. <laughs> mm, right, right, right. <laughs> so I started kind of being in the garden every morning from when before sunrise, so I could see all these drops falling. <laughs> and then finally, one day, I saw it. Was I saw that between the the leaf and the drop. There is a love affair. They're like two lovers. Mm. And the, the moment that they start separating, they start trembling. And that's the moment where I could click and I could take. But what was really the master wanting from me? That was the question. That was my mm. first question. So then I understood that what Osho was pointing to me was like my fear of separation. Mm. So I used all that experience to really understand how I was afraid of separation and how I would cut off, you know, so that I would not have to feel that fear and that pain of separation. So there was a lot of learning, you know, that, and that's what a, a master is about. You know, he uses every possibility to point the disciple towards a particular part of his or her own unconscious so that it can become clear, can it become obvious. Mm -hmm. So, and then uh, when I took the picture, I brought it to Osho. Osho said, good. So then now you can start and come and take pictures of me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I started uh, be being one of his uh, photographers and, yeah. uh, so this what this those were my two jobs in the in the community it was like taking pictures of Osho during discourses and also privately, and then teaching uh, martial arts and satori and facilitating other courses, mm -hmm. and that went on for uh, 12, 12 years for fourteen years something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at some point, the the experience in India was I felt was finished, and I moved to Australia. Ah, okay. Yes. And then so we'll tell me about the name that Osho gave you. Okay. The name, my full name is Samarpan Avikal. Samarpan means surrender. So that was the first hit on the head because to a martial artist and uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> to us to surrender was like, okay, you got me. What does it mean to surrender? Mm. So that was the first, uh, the first thing that really, really, 
uh, got me going, you know, like, uh, what is surrender? You know, like, because I, I had a, a sense of it, but uh, my, my, I also had a sense that there was also a lot of resistance. So what is the relationship between surrender and resisting? What, what is what? Uh, and the other name is avical. And avical has two meanings. One meaning is uh, quiet, non-action. And another meaning is one who has come back home. Hmm. So, you know, I, again, when I, when I got the name avical, I was like a tiger, you know, like going up and down my house, like me, non-action. Wait a minute, quiet. Mm-hmm. No, I am, I'm an action person. <laughs> it's like... And then after a few days, something started landing. Say, okay, quiet surrender. How can I allow myself to surrender and at the same time not effort? Not, not making efforts about my life. And something really started relaxing inside. Mm-hmm. This, this idea that I could explore non-efforting was a revolution because personality is all about efforting is about goals is about reaching is about you know going somewhere so that that and this is still is my is my my path you know every day <laughs> yeah it's interesting you you mentioned the the non-efforting because as i was mentioning earlier i've been studying meditation with someone and we talked about how you know people tend to hate meditation. And I think it's because there's so much effort that they put into it. And this this teacher is saying like, like no effort, Brian, no effort. And I would say, but what about this? And then he would say, because we're doing this part. Of technique. And I said, well, when I'm doing this part of technique, am I supposed to be? He's like, you're not supposed to be doing anything. <laughs> it's a very difficult thing for, for some of us to say to not effort. Um, it, it's It's true. Because, you see, efforting is not about what we do or not do. Effort is about the inner attitude. Mm. Like for example, in this moment, you, know, you are breathing, and you are not making an effort for breathing. Mm-hmm. But, of course, if you say, okay, now I have to breathe in a particular way, then we start efforting. But that's not necessarily what needs to be happening. You can simply bring your presence and awareness to the fact that Okay, I'm going to have a little bit of a slower uh, out-breath. But I don't need to go like, okay, this has to be slower. And, you know, it, because that's that's a mental attitude. Mm-hmm. So non-efforting is about the internal attitude towards who we are and what we do. Not in the doing itself. Right, right. And when, we were t- when you were talking, you also mentioned um, you mentioned resistance. And I know in, in the book you talk about acceptance. A lot of teachers tell us that we need to learn acceptance. So what would you say to, to that, that uh, particular teaching? Okay. Um, well, resistance is something that drives a lot the personality. Because basically, what is resistance? Resistance is resistance to what is in this moment. Maybe I don't like something, then I start resisting it, I start rejecting it, I start pushing it away, and I start moving in in this very basic uh, mind movement. Resistance, hope. Resistance, hope. I reject and resist what is happening, and I hope for something different. Hmm. So... 
then I am completely caught into like pushing away and projecting myself in the future. Hmm. But what about here? What about in this moment? So in this moment, I can be aware, okay, there is something which is an attitude of resistance. There is something which is an attitude of hope. And there is me, there is this subjectivity that it is aware of all this. All this rejection and hope and resistance are objects in my awareness, in awareness. So then everything that happens becomes a vehicle to go into this presence of pure awareness. Mm-hmm. And that's where resistance little by little starts <clears throat> dissolving. At the same time, resistance is also a, a resource because in some moments we, we resist something because we feel that uh, that something is not aligned with who you are in this moment. Mm. So resistance is also a, 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 a good, interesting phenomenon in terms of uh, uh, growth. I need to learn how to deal with resistance. So I don't have a judgment about resistance. I simply want to bring awareness to it. When is something that is actually uh, useful to be myself? And when it's simply a habit. Yeah, that's. You know, I think that's brilliant because people sometimes take simple teachings and they overuse them, and they'll say, "Well, we should never be resistant to anything." Yeah, and and I'm like, "Well, what about what about injustice? What if someone's getting hurt? Are we supposed to accept that that's just the way that it is?" Um, and no, you're right. There's and and I love what you said about growth because. It's actually resistance. It's actually pushing against something. A lot of times, that actually leads to growth. It's that, absolutely. It's that thing about the the grief that we go through that actually spurs us to to grow because it forces us to to create effort that actually strengthens us. Yes, and for example, children, for children to have something to push against is a fundamental part of their learning and their growing up. If they don't have boundaries, you know, it's very difficult for a child to grow. They need parents who give them boundaries which are healthy mm-hmm. so that the, the, the child can learn, okay, I can push against this boundary, you know, I, and, and I can grow up like, like a little chick in, in, in the egg. You know, it needs to break, <laughs> break the egg. If it doesn't right. to break the egg, it's not going to grow up, you know. Right. So yeah. I don't have any problem with resistance. Resistance is just part of living. And yet it has to be brought to awareness, to consciousness, so that I know, okay, I'm resisting because I have a habit of resisting. For example, my partner says something that I don't like and I resist instead of stopping for a moment and listening. Am I, is this useful or is it not useful? Do I want to take it in? Do I don't need to take it in? It's really about being being present. Mm-hmm. The resistance is just resistance. It's not good or bad. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. That's great. That's that's awesome. So as you said, there's a, there's a time where we we should resist or we might want to resist. It might be useful, but Absolutely. just don't do it. Don't do it out of habit. Don't do it just Excellent. because it's yeah. To to be aware of that. And Absolutely. You, you, I know you talk about an internal judge in your book. Um, yes, I find that interesting because I'm t- 
teaching something called positive intelligence. And we talk about the judge that we all have. And we yeah. talk about these different saboteurs we have. So when you say internal judge, what does that mean to you? Well, um, about 25 years ago, you know, at, at some point I was really looking at where do I want to focus my my teaching and my 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 understanding and I could see very clearly in myself and in many people that also have been meditators for a long time that there is this internal structure of control, which is I call the inner judge, which is superego, Freud, or the, the, the Zen master call it the barking dog, you know, which is that presence that continuously, constantly, compulsively is uh, judging ourselves and judging everything. Mm-hmm. So... I, I notice, okay, that's something that really pulls us back continuously. Even when we have good understanding, good realization, good practice, there is this tendency to go back into the, the status quo, the past, the, the, the established uh, uh, order, you know, hmm. internally. And that's actually is the structure, the inner judge. So I focused really on that. What is the judge? How does it work? What are its functions? Do I need it? Do I not need it? Hmm. And does it help me or does it not help me? And uh, I mean, the the most uh, 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 obvious uh, way of looking at the inner judge is by our internal parents. Basically, we internalized our parents when we were children And uh, our parents gave us all the rules and regulations and admonishments and the rights and wrongs that we grew in and that we bring with ourselves. Now, again, are we conscious of it or not? Again, the the, the inner judge is just a structure. It's just, if you want, an app, a software. (laughs) It's like, no, I can be enslaved by this software, by this app, and go all the time, okay, where is my judge? What is right? What is wrong? And <laughs> Or I can say, okay, the job of, the, of my parents inside of me is protection. It's about giving me ideas, skills, values, and ways to navigate and survive. Mm. So they did their job because that's parents' job to give us, to every child, those uh, uh, tips yeah, to survive. The question is, okay, now I am a man. Do I always need these tips or not? Most of the time I don't because they don't align with who I am in this moment. They come from a different generation, from different ways to look at reality. So I need to be able to say, okay, thank you. I don't need it right now. Mm. Or yes, I do need it. Mm. If you tell me watch to the the, the road before crossing the road, yes, I do need it. Mm. Why not? But if you tell me watch out because uh, uh, maybe you are not man enough in this moment with your lover, I don't need that. You know, that's... Mm. Who cares? You know, that's love is not about performance. It's, you know, like so it's really about again growing up. Growing up means acknowledging the the the, the beauty and the and the 
and the work that the parents have done, mm-hmm. recognizing that I have that uh, capacity, that inner structure of uh, judgment and, and, and control, and also recognizing when I don't need it, when it's not necessary. Yeah. No? So yeah, that I, I can actually be free. Yes, I think that's brilliant. Um, you know, it's interesting because as I've been doing this teaching that I've been doing or learning about this this system, positive intelligence, we talk about the judge. And I, I wonder about the origins. I think it's parents. I think it's God. What we were taught that God was when we were, for me, in Sunday school, uh, it could be teachers. It could be society telling us this is the way that you should be. And we internalize all these voices and we make the mistake of thinking that that's us. And that's why... The exercises that you're talking about, you know, who am I, who is in um, learning, you know, thinking about our identity, uh, because I want to talk about identity and mistakes people make with that. So I know in the second chapter of your book, you you talk about that. So explain your thoughts on identity. Well, first of all, uh, one moment of advertisement, because I wrote two books on the inner judge. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, please. Freedom to be yourself is one, and without a mask is another one. Mm-hmm. Because it's really, I feel that is the most fundamental uh, obstacle that we encounter about uh, being authentic mm. and about you know being who I am. Because the job, the fundamental job of the inner judge is to give us an identity. You are Italian. You are a man, you are cultured, you are ignorant, you are intelligent, you are stupid, you are courageous, you will never have such no all, all positive and negative elements that create a sense of identity. Hmm. So we we delude ourselves, we wake up in the morning and we say, okay, I know who I am, because we attach ourselves to that sense of identity. And that sense of identity is nearly completely defined by our relationship with our inner judge. Now, it's true what you say. The inner judge is a composite. is a composite of parents, teachers, images of God, ideas about what is real and what is not real, society, culture, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that makes it... Uh, uh, Complicated in some moments, but also very interesting to really see, okay, what is this, where is this judgment coming from? What is the source of it? How how come I am identified with it? And what are the effects of this identification in my day-to-day life? Mm -hmm. The moment that we start separating from that specific image and that specific ideas about ourselves, then we go into an identity crisis. Because for a moment, we don't know who we are. Yes. No. If I'm not courageous, or if I'm not strong, then who am I? If I lived all my life pretending that I'm always strong, you know, and then and then and that's where the question becomes very fundamental because at that moment they say, okay, I don't know who I am when I'm weak. Or I don't know when I am who I am if I allow myself to cry, because a man is not supposed to cry, especially if he's a Sicilian like me. <laughs> Sicilian, 
Sicilian, they are good for vendetta, for revenge, not for tears. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's really it's really a dance between becoming aware of how I define myself through my past and my identification with the inner judge and with certain values and certain ideas about reality and how I don't know. And and I can ask myself, then who am I if I am not in that way? So they are all linked together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, and that is such a freeing journey when you go on it. it It's scary. It It can be scary, but it can be freeing. I I was raised, I mentioned earlier, I was raised as a fundamentalist, you know, Christian. And, you know, that was my identity for a very long time until it started to kind of fall apart for me. And I remember several times as I was going through this process of, we call it deconstruction, right? It's tearing these things down where it's, I'm like, well, if I was wrong about that, what else was I wrong about? And where does that lead me? And it, it feels like the bottom is completely dropping out when you start stripping these things away. Um, but I can tell people that have gone that, you know, when you go through the process, it's so worth it because you always find something else, you know, something more authentic, and you can start separating these things out. And you can you can choose, you know, a lot of times people feel like I can't make a choice. I am this, like, like you said, maybe. I am Sicilian. I'm a Sicilian man. So therefore I'm a strong, brave man. And if that doesn't align with who you are internally, that creates a lot of conflict. Absolutely. And and that's the mask you're talking about, right? We have to walk around wearing these masks all the time to pretend that we are what other people expect us to be. Right. And which means not only internal conflict, but also external conflict. Right. Because then I have to prove to everybody you know, that I am strong and blah, 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 and the whole thing, you know. And then, uh, you know, of course, some people might say, oh, yeah, okay, fine, you're you're strong. And they project on me that strength then they expect it from me every moment. And mm-hmm. then I'm trapped, you know. Mm-hmm. Or other people can say, okay, you're strong. Okay, let's fight. <laughs> like, so, like, you know, it's, it's a trap. It's a trap. And it's true. It, in the beginning, to work with our inner judge can be very uh, challenging and also very painful because also, in a way, we need to look at how come I am so loyal to my parents? Mm-hmm. How come I am so loyal to my conditioning? You know, what do I get out of it? What is my investment? You know, and, and that takes take some, uh, you know, it, it's really a bit like stripping our skin, you know. It's not just uh, throwing away concepts. It's really like, okay, this is, okay, I'm not this anymore. Let me clean yeah. it up. Yeah, it, it, can, it can be very painful. And when you identify with those things, and I've noticed also, like sometimes if you challenge someone's beliefs, they hold their beliefs so closely that they think the belief is them. Yes. And if and if you challenge your belief, you're challenging their very existence. And they Absolutely. will fight you, they will fight you to the death over over what is a belief because they think it's 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 who they are. Yes, yes, absolutely. But well, because that's the and, and again, this is a question of identity, you know. That's mm-hmm. that's that's their identity, which raises the question also, do I need an identity? Yes, yes. Because actually, you know. 
I, unless I need to an identity as a, as a functional uh, skill that is, is used for, okay, I go to the bank and I need to have my identity card and I need to present myself in a certain way, then I need an identity because it's functional to living in this society. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, do I need to have an identity in this moment that we are speaking? No. Do you need to? No. We, we are just two human beings communicating and sharing who we are. I don't care if you don't know what's your name or, or my name. Yes, we can call each other with those names, but mm-hmm. the, you know, you could, you, I could call you Avikal and you could call me Brian. We would still be here and talking right. with each other and communicating. <laughs> yeah, I love the way in the book you you have the the, the book or the the concepts, and then you have people ask questions of themselves because it's really. This is all a matter of like putting this to the test. It's not, it's not conceptual things. You said the koans is not a matter of saying the koan. It's not a matter of answering the koan. It's it's sitting with it. And yes. when, when you ask someone the question, do you need an identity? I think our knee-jerk reaction is, of course I do. But then you you challenge that and you say, you know, as you said right now, and, and as I was reading, I was sitting, I was sitting in a chair having my cup of tea. And I'm like, he's right. It, right now it, it doesn't matter what my identity is i am i am that which is having this experience and that's all that's important in this moment is is it's just the experience itself that's really cool when you start to play around with those concepts it is it is and also we can understand children much better because children yes. don't care about their identity in the very beginning you know when they grow up of course they do but you know, in the beginning, when they are small, they they don't have an identity. They are this open field of uh, experience and uh, and wonder, which is magical, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until we put them in their little boxes, you know, until yes. we start telling them who they are, and this is how you're supposed yes. to be, and this is how you're not supposed yes. to be, and this yes. is how our family does things, and all those things, which are necessary, you know, societal conditions. Yes. We have to do that, but I think part of our journey here is is getting back to who we really are. It's like we come here, we we take on all this baggage, and then we spend the rest of our life stripping it away. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I know you also define narcissism as like fundamental to like the human condition. What do you what is it you mean by that? Okay, I was reflecting on uh, on narcissism for some time and uh, it didn't fit with me this idea that narcissism is a, a kind of a, a psychological uh, personality disorder. You know, it's it it felt that there was more than that. You know, and uh, and the, it, I understand you know that can be extreme and manifest and in, in ways that are pathological. But at the same time, from a spiritual point of view, I was asking myself, okay, from a spiritual point of view, what is behind that pathology? What is that makes us so interested in looking out and uh, looking at our images and mirroring and wanting mirroring for these specific images? And what what I come to is that... uh, Narcissism is basically a belief, a very deep belief that I am not 
capable of going inside, that I'm not capable to know myself directly, that I need some sort of reflection. Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, sometimes it's, it's a, it's a, most of the time it's an unconscious belief because they, we have been stripped of that intelligence that knows how to go in. Or more than strip, we lost contact because we, thanks God, we are not stripped, but we lost contact with that intelligence that says, okay, I can know myself directly by going inside. Mm-hmm. But also there is sometimes the, the unwillingness to go inside, the fear to go inside, the, the doubt that can I do it? Can I not do it? What are the consequences? So it's, I look at it and narcissism as a spiritual condition for all of humanity. Mm. We are all narcissists until we go and take the step to say, okay, I know how to go out. I know how to get, uh, give my attention to other, but how about if I give attention to myself Mm. and I look at myself from inside and that's that's the, where the where the question who am I and who is in they become absolutely basic. Yeah. Wow, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I never thought of it that way before. But as you were saying that, I was thinking about narcissistic people that that I I know, and there is they do seem to be devoid of looking within. They 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 everything's based upon what's around them. They need they need love from other people. They they can't feel. You know that within themselves, they they need uh, approval from other people. They can't feel that within themselves. So, I think you're right. I think that's just an extreme of what a lot of us feel, because we have been. Um, I know in my case, and I know a lot of people's cases, we were not ever taught to go within. You know, all the answers are outside. Go, go find an expert. Go, go to church. Listen to the priest. Listen to the pastor. Listen to, you know, someone else. Um, and it's like, it's really, like I said, it's really cool when you find out that the answers you need are, have been with you all along. It's kind of like the whole, the whole, lesson. my favorite movie ever was The Wizard of Oz. And I, I the older <laughs> I get, the more I realize how profound the wisdom in that movie is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's really, uh, I, I I don't know if I can say unfortunately because maybe it's not like that. It's part of the process of growing up, the mm-hmm. fact that we we end up having to separate from our true nature and mm-hmm. our our pure presence, and we need to learn to live in a particular box, in a particular form, in a particular identity, so that we can grow out of that too. Mm-hmm. It, this seems to be the, the the process for everybody. Yeah. So that's how it is, you know. Like as, now, for unfortunately, or well, even even in this, unfortunately, is not right, you know, because people have their own time and uh, and rhythm. But I I feel that the 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 general movement of uh, that happens in consciousness is towards awakening yes we all we all go towards our potential though we go we all tend to evolve towards uh, what is possible rather than what is allowed mm-hmm. you know 
and and that's you know for, for some people can take um, many 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 years for other people are lucky and they have a moment of illumination you know it's it's not in our hands very much you know we can only invite uh, ourselves to to sit at the table of awakening you know and then uh, there is also a lot to do with grace yeah i i i agree i have come to the conclusion that it is the design it's it is the process that humans grow through um and i've talked you know people are like well why i i i work in a community where people talk about soul planning and they say well why would i plan something like this why would i plan these hardships and i'll say well look at how you've grown you know you could take any particular hardship in your life and look at it and you probably grew out of it you probably learned something through it you probably became more resilient you picked up some knowledge along the way. You you use it to inspire you. So if we started thinking of things from a from an eternal being perspective, then it, it starts to make more sense. All the crap that we go through here, it's yes. it's like going it's like going to the gym. You know, it's like we go to the gym and we put ourselves through pain, but by that we we grow and everybody grows at their own pace. You know, we we shouldn't try not to judge other people for where they are. They are where they are in their journeys and. We've all been there. We've all uh, we've all fallen short. You know, we've all got things to learn. Uh, so it's 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 a process that we go through. Definitely, definitely, and it's a, it's an adventure. <laughs> it is. You know, I think that's a part of it too. I think it's it's an adventure. It's like there's a there's a song I listen to, and, and uh, she likens life to like a game of hide and seek, where it's like. You know, the the creator or source, whatever you want to call it, kind of hides. And we put on these costumes and we come here, we play these roles and we pretend to forget who we are. And it, it's it's a game of discovery. Yes. And if you can start to look at it that way, it, it does become more uh, even enjoyable, even as we're going through the process. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It becomes enjoyable and becomes also something that is beautiful to share and and uh, and to feel the, the 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 contentment of of being in the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 just coming to that. You know, it's interesting. I'm just, I'm I'm hearing people say things like, you know, oh, life can be fun, and you know, so I've been through some pretty dark times. And when you go through that, you say, no, nah, this this isn't fun. And your people talk about, well, life is a school, and I think it is, and life is, you know, for this and that. But I think it's also about the experience, the discovery, the the unfolding of it, the beauty of that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's the the thrill, you know. In like in 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 Greek, you know, there is this word which is eros, mm-hmm. and eros we often think in terms of sexuality, but actually the the meaning of the word eros is something very different. Is the spark of the new. Yeah. So when we are in the present, the eros is continuously here because the, the new keeps unfolding, manifesting, you know, and I can be in tune with this uh, uh, erotic quality of life mm. or not. Mm-hmm. And then when eros is present, then there is a joy, there is excitement, there is curiosity, there is wonder. Okay, let's see what happens. You know, like I and 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 there is no, the 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 relaxation of not knowing, yeah. or not need to put pressure on myself that I should know. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that that living in the moment that is when everything is new. 
we can look at everything through through beginner's eyes and we can start to see the wonder and and the magic around us and and become a little bit less jaded with uh with you know yes. with the world so Avikal, we're coming to the end of our time i really have uh enjoyed speaking with you i want you to tell people remind them again of uh, the name of your book i will tell you everybody that's listening i do highly recommend it i think it'll really open your eyes to some things there's some great uh exercises in it so tell people about your book and where they can find it where they can find you okay so the book is who is in uh, beyond self-image and uh, you can find it on amazon.com barnes and noble uh, on uh, John Hunt Publishing, you know, there are different places. I would say Amazon for most people is probably the easiest. Mm-hmm. And it goes also in as a, as an ebook. Mm-hmm. So it can be hard copy or ebook. And uh, it just came out on the 1st of December. So it's fresh. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would be a great, a great gift for yourself and for other people for these holidays. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people find you? And I know you do, um, is retreats the right word? Yes. Well, I, I, I'm going, I'm launching in the, in the next couple of weeks, my new personal website. So, and it is avical.co, C-O, avical.co. This is one of the, my website, and the other one, which has already been there for a few years, is integralbeing.com, integralbeing.com. Awesome. And you, you find the schedule and the retreats and, uh, and the work that I offer in different parts of the world. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I'll make sure that I put those in the show notes as well, but I always like to get them on, on air so people can hear yes. it. Again, yes. a great pleasure meeting you today and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I know it's morning for you. I'm getting ready to go yes. have dinner. Yes, it's time for, <laughs> it's time for breakfast. <laughs> well, thanks Thank for being here. Beautiful, beautiful to be with you. Thanks a lot, my friend. Hey there, you're still here. I'm so glad. I'd like to tell you something. I help people who have suffered tragedy to overcome sadness, overwhelm, and depression that can overshadow their lives. Now, if that's where you are, I know how it feels. I've been there myself. My 15-year-old daughter passed away suddenly in 2015, and I felt stuck. I felt lost. I felt hopeless. I help people to find joy and purpose again, to build resilience, and return your life stronger than before. Now, if you're looking for somebody to help you with that, and you're thinking about working with a coach, I'd love to explore working with you. Go to my website, www dot grief to growth.com that's grief the number two growth.com slash contact and look for the schedule appointment button we can schedule a quick free call to see if it makes sense for us to work together now if you're not ready to take that step just go to my website and look around i have a lot of resources that are free and some that are very low cost and maybe we can work together later have a wonderful day Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.